and we're back. Hi, I'm Helen and this is Why Mums Don't Jump, busting taboos about leaks and lumps after childbirth, all the stuff that happens to your pelvic floor that no one ever talks about, incontinence, prolapse, pelvic pain, problems that affect millions of women, one in three, I'm one of them. I have a prolapse. My pelvic organs fell out of place after the birth of my second child five years ago. And if you'd told me then I'd be speaking about this stuff out loud, I would have told you to give your head a wobble. Hi and welcome. Series two is happening. And we are picking up where we left off, really. So if you're new to the pod, then please do go back and check out the last series as well as this one. And if you're not new to the pod, then thanks for coming back. And I really hope you're going to enjoy this series as much as the last one. And you know what? I'm sure you are because there are tons of brilliant guests coming up. More women sharing their experiences of pelvic floor dysfunction and the expert voices who have been helping us to get our heads around it all. I'm not going to waffle on about me today because this episode, well, it's one that I've been trying to make happen for a while now. It's the award-winning BBC broadcaster and journalist, Emma Barnett, host of the institution that is Woman's Hour on Radio 4, regular presenter of Newsnight, author of the very honest and very funny book, It's About Bloody Time Period, which looks at taboos around menstruation and Emma's own experiences of uh, endometriosis. Oh, and she's a fellow northerner. I am wearing Buzzing Arcade, my Manchester t-shirt. Hey! Which me, Extra my son, for that one. and my husband all have. Emma and I worked for the and same radio station until recently. And a couple of months ago, I produced a discussion about pelvic floor problems, which she hosted. And in the middle of it, she said in passing that she has a tight pelvic floor. Right, which is where the muscles are just too tense and can't relax and it can be really painful. And nobody ever mentions that, least of all on the radio. So I asked her if she'd mind having a chat about it. And she said, yeah. yeah I'm so, can I just say, I'm so happy to, to talk about this and that you've asked me the question because for a long time it was all in my head or I thought it was. And I, if I can just help one woman with this, I would feel like I'd done a really good job, actually, um, because I would have loved to have heard this conversation when I was scrabbling around on the internet late at night when my son was around three months old, thinking, am I losing my mind here? But basically, I felt after my birth, once the C-section wound had healed a bit and I was more mobile, I just felt like I couldn't Okay, so for women listening, your pelvic, obviously men have a pelvic floor too, but for women listening, you know what I mean when I say I couldn't bring it down, right? Like mm-hmm. when you're stressed and it's all up, your pelvic floor, which basically if you don't know what your pelvic floor fit, it is, it's an umbrella of muscles, isn't it, supporting your undercarriage. That's not a technical way of describing it. But, but it felt like I was holding my breath if, right. in my body. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but I just couldn't relax my pelvic floor and I, I just I couldn't bring it down and, and I wasn't I mean obviously you're stressed when you're a new mum and you're trying to figure stuff out but even when I was relaxed you know I was watching telly the baby was asleep or I'd just done a feed and it was all quite chilled you know I couldn't get this thing to go down and, and, and it's one of those things it's a bit like when you're a kid and you think about swallowing the minute you think about swallowing you don't know how to do it or the minute you think about breathing you forget how to breathe 
I'd never thought about this thing until I thought about it. And then I was like, oh my goodness, what can I do? And it took me, I don't know, about another month from that point to realise I wasn't going mad and that there was an issue. And I could tell you sort of what I did next in a minute, but just to get Mm -hmm. to a sentence that is actually more uh, medical, I have a hypertonic pelvic floor since having my child. Yeah. And I didn't know, I didn't even know that was a thing. No, well, because everyone, everything anybody says is that it will get weak or damaged. So you're, yeah. you're thinking that that's going to be the problem. And and also, you know, we grow up with, with completely no uh, education to speak of in this way about our bodies as women or as men. Yep. And pelvic floor is always linked to sex, isn't it? Especially when you talk about women and having a looser pelvic floor and then urinary incontinence. And that's just all really unsexy, right? Mm-hmm. And then... The idea that your pelvic floor is anywhere near your genitals, people, then and, and then you were to say, oh, it's really tight, they might be like, oh, that's great, isn't it? Isn't that a great thing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and actually, it is the most one of the most upsetting things I've ever been through. And was it was it painful? Yes, because and I've had it flare once since, and so basically, I can talk about treatment and all of that in a minute, which which perhaps you do want to hear about. Yeah. But I. I had a flare up during lockdown, the first lockdown last year. And I think it may have been, this is me doing cod medicine here, but by the way, there's basically that's all I've got with when it comes to my other condition, my, my disease, which is endometriosis, yeah. um, because we still don't know what causes it. We still don't have a cure. And for somebody listening who doesn't know what that is, it's where uh, lining, um, which, which represents like the womb lining, doesn't leave the body and stays in and can cause all sorts of issues, mainly huge amounts of pain yeah uh but also infertility which is why I had to have IVF um but I just I had this flare up last year and and I I just again couldn't get it down and I had to go back and have what I now know is women's physio pelvic physio Mm -hmm. which is usually for the opposite like you're saying and I I had forgotten how bad it was because it had already been about two and a half years and you know how your memory does that amazing thing of going yeah it was bad but it wasn't that bad um, but I was wandering around during lockdown in the park, the local park, because what else could you do? And I love the name of your podcast because I there's no never mind jumping. I couldn't run because <laughs> yeah. it would aggravate it. And that is painful, really painful. And what was the point at which you were like, right, I've got to go and get some help? Well, I um, I remember I was doing some work at 12 weeks. It was just uh, the most, in, <laughs> you know, you have keeping in touch days. Yeah, And I used two of mine to guest present the Andrew Marr programme on a Sunday morning on BBC One, like you do. Never hosted that show before. And very kindly, and all respect to the male producers, had had me on their list if Andrew was ever to take a day off. And, and he did. He wasn't very well, sadly. Um, and they still asked me, you know, bless them, mm-hmm. 12 weeks after giving birth. So respect to those guys. Um, and I thought to myself, do you know what? I, I didn't die. I think I could still do it. I think my brain's my brain works. Everybody said it was okay for me to do those two of my keeping in touch days. I wasn't breaking the rules with my mat leave. And the reason I bring all of that up is I was obviously quite stressed in the run up to hosting a TV show when I'd been off work for three months. Yeah. And there was, you know, there were, there were big write ups in terms of newspaper stuff afterwards, not about me per se, but actually about, I remember, yeah. um, About the interviews because they were quite uh eye-catching for various reasons of the news at that point i mean i personally was thrilled because gogglebox took a clip from it so that's just me (laughs) you made it yeah you know but um in the run-up to the day to the sunday you work on the saturday on that shift and i was with the producers and 
I was just like, I, I couldn't stop thinking about what was going on my pelvic floor. Like mm. I was trying to sit there thinking about Brexit policy and Labour's <laughs> position on it. And I was trying to think about online um, and how the how the government were going to launch this particular paper. I remember I was interviewing Matt Hancock. He was the culture secretary. So I was trying to get my head around some quite complicated things. And all I could think about was my bloody pelvic floor. And I said to myself, right, if I get through the next 24 hours, you know, I've got to get through them work-wise, I am going to make myself a promise that I'm going to see somebody about this who's a specialist. And that is what led me on to a service on a website which was called Mummy's MOT. Yeah, okay. And that led me to my amazing physios Mm -hmm. who, you know, I I, I don't know if I'm allowed to name check people, but... Go for it. No, but I just, I have to say, like, the whole thing is so shrouded because nobody talks about it I felt like I was looking something up that was kind of weird you know like yeah I don't know how you found your it's like how do you get to that point in your life and not even know that these things are can be problems and then find out that this whole medical world or you know physio world exists that you've never heard about before so, well the, the shout out I really want to give is to my personal physio is Marta Kinsella and she is one half of the Maria Elliott physio services, the MEPS. But you know, I didn't find her straight away. I actually went to another place, which was just quite a random place. But this is a whole other thing I'm about to delve into here, which is insurance policies. So I I had no private healthcare. Most people in Britain don't. Um, And, but my husband did through his job. Mm -hmm. And I I thought, you know what, if I've got something serious here where I'm going to need some physio, I might as well look if there's a partner policy and, and, you know, I know I'm hugely privileged to, to be able to even say that and to look into it. But I did not have that because I was freelance at the BBC at the time or I was semi-staffed. I, I, I don't even know if we do offer that at the BBC. But my point was I didn't have the means yeah. to do it um, in terms of being covered because I knew I'd probably need lots of sessions. Now, obviously, I am also in the very fortunate position to be able to afford these sessions. Yeah. But even I found the sessions extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. And so the reason I'm bringing all of that up is I remember I managed to go somewhere else that was covered by my husband's policy and getting it covered and explaining it, by the way, to the insurance company. They were like, oh, you're having fertility treatment. I was like, no, 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 no. This is the opposite of fertility treatment. This is me trying to cope with my body after I've actually had a baby. And, and, you know, bless, bless the person on the end of the phone. They didn't even know how to enter it. Oh my goodness! The insurance system, and I'm only telling you that story because I obviously I'm backtracking a tiny bit. The first thing I did was try and see if I could get it on the NHS. Yeah, like that's obviously my first route because that's all I use, right? That's what we do in this country. It's the best thing in the world, and you know we pay into it, and we only want to use it when we have to. Mm -hmm. Um, And we obviously we're not in a pandemic where you're thinking I won't go. I mean that makes me so scared. Who's not getting support at the moment in lots of ways? Mm-hmm. Um, as we live through a pandemic but I couldn't find anywhere near me and then when I sort of got nearer to it within the NHS system I could see I wasn't going to get anywhere anytime soon and I was desperate Helen I was like yeah I've got to just at least get a diagnosis and then maybe I can do some exercises myself or yeah. something I didn't even anyway I you told need to you try of... something you need to have some hope that you can move forward with it don't you yes completely and I actually felt there wasn't a community out there about hypertonic pelvic floor. No. I know that it's still really taboo to talk about the opposite, the loose one. Yeah. But um, there's probably a good name. But 
I um, I just, I just, I didn't know who I could talk to. Like it was awful. And I remember going in to see this woman, and she was French, and she said, "Oh yeah, you've got a hypotonic pelvic floor." And I went, "What?" Yeah. And you know, I'm a journalist. I love information. Obviously, I was on that the minute I got out of there, reading all about it. But you know, she treated me, and she began the physio, and she said, "Yes, it's really bad, but it's not as bad as I've seen." So you're lucky. I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh my gosh, it could be worse." And um. You know, I'm getting quite emotional even thinking back to this because I was lying on the table and it was the first time I'd sort of been apart from my son for a long period of time. I mean, I know I'd done that shift at work, but mm-hmm. I don't know because it was to do with him and his birth. And I thought, am I ever going to be normal again? You know, like, please fix me. And actually, it's like any other muscle. You've got to work at it. You've got to calm it down. You've got to learn to techniques to relax it. And a lot of it's breathing and then I found Marta and I've been I've been with her ever since. And mm-hmm. I've paid, uh, it's not an insurance uh, coverage. I just mm-hmm. want to be completely transparent. I've, I've paid to see her. Um, mm-hmm. And she does amazing work. And I, I, I honestly can't tell you how grateful I am to have found her. But I, I really can't bear to think that some people don't know or can't afford or can't access this sort of care in their area. And the thing I really want to say to you is actually you can do quite a lot on your own if you know the mm-hmm. breathing work. And it is a lot like the best one was said to me was imagine you're in an elevator if you want to bring your pelvic floor down and you're on the 10th floor and just be doing really deep breaths and imagining each floor coming down. And I'm not joking. It does work like you, you feel everything relax a bit. It's difficult, isn't it? Because it's, it's inside, you can't see it. It's not like I've sprained my wrist and I can sort of see that it's a bit wonky or a bit swollen and I can do things that will make it better. Like you literally just, it's all in, it's hard to see that progress when you cannot see inside yeah. yourself. Yeah. And it's interesting as well that you mentioned the emotional aspect of it. Because I think um, I, I had a similar experience when I went to see the physio that I have now. And I remember mm. bawling my eyes out in there because I think it's just the first time that anyone really asks those questions and it's your first opportunity to really let them out and it is very linked to childbirth and the emotions around that and I think sometimes I've said it to her like she's almost as much of a a counsellor or a therapist as she Mm. is a a practitioner of of physio. Yeah I I agree they sort of understand you and they know what's going on and they're trying to get you back to where you were if you can get back there or at least give you back to yourself yeah yes get back to yourself that's exactly that sums it up entirely i've lost me because of this how Mm. do i get back to me or at least get somewhere back to me and it's not you know a lot of these things may never be 100 percent fixed you may never be 100 percent where you were before but there is definitely progress to be made um with all of it i think if you can if you can talk about it and if you can get the right help well i mean i know i know that since we last spoke I, obviously i've got this new job that's yeah. a big program called woman's hour and um i hope i hope you know with these sorts of podcasts and those sorts of programs we can get into people's ears who might not yeah. know about certain things that that's a big part of what we do as journalists but i feel i listen to those programs and i also read you know, websites that will have new sites and feature sites that have lots of things that, you know, are taboo. I wrote a book about periods and obviously that's a huge taboo and and a lot to do with what we don't know and the history of the way they've been talked about and treated. 
But this was all, it wasn't even like it was taboo. It's just like nobody talks about it at all. It's like hidden on the dark web or something. Yeah, it's like it's like the first rule of your ruined pelvic club is not to talk about your ruined pelvic floor. Yeah. <laughs> um, you've, so one of the things I wanted to ask you about actually was was the book because the way you talk about periods in that really chimed with a lot of my thinking around this kind of pelvic floor dysfunction and it comes down to the shame and the taboo and the lack of research around it you talked about a lack of education in your book and and just this sense that we should just put up with it all it's just you know that's the lot of a woman it's really deep rooted and it felt like it felt a little bit like a call to arms for me like we need to stop messing about and ask for help and start to talk about this more is that is that sort of what well, you not, were yeah, feeling? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not just talk about it. It's about yeah. it. The most important thing you said for me there was research, right? Mm. So, you know, I love you as a fellow northerner. Going, we need to stop messing around, and we yeah. need to just deal with this. And and that is exactly and what that means is, is is several things. Talking is very important. Lifting the shame, the taboo, the silence. I wrote my book, um, which in its full title is "It's About Bloody Time." Period. Full stop. Because I. I was really intrigued by having unwittingly become the first person on live television to say I was menstruating on air and it was really hurting during a debate on Sky News. That made me laugh out loud, by the way. (laughs) Um, About menstrual leave, because a company in Brighton had tried it, and, and, you know, whether we thought it was a good idea or not. Yeah. And I didn't know it was a big deal to say I was having a period, because most of us are at a certain age, once a month. Mm -hmm. And my fellow co-host, Nick Ferrari, who's a dear friend of mine, I mean, he looked like he was he'd vomited and eaten it again how ill he looked uh graham lasso the footballer was trying to put a, a better face on it but i um i bring that up because i then got all these women and some men get in touch with me and say thank you for for saying it hurts right yeah and and because i've got a bit of a rep as you know as a, a sort of tough journalist yeah. who, who asks difficult questions here and there I, I think there was also a good thing to show that you can be strong but also weak mm-hmm. and that weak is not bad you yeah. know week to pain is reality like i walk around for 10 days of the month like a little lady little old lady nothing wrong with that but i'm not i'm 36 and i am um, my husband can see when it's begun you know mm-hmm. i walk down in our hallway of our home when i come in and i'm sort of bent over double and i walk in looking about 86 not 36 and i wrote the book as well because <laughs> When I said that on TV, I didn't know I had this disease. I didn't know I had endometriosis. And right. I, it took me 21 years to be diagnosed. And I was so ashamed, actually, despite having say having said I shouldn't have shame. But it's different what I'm about to say. I think it's okay to feel upset and frustrated that you didn't get a diagnosis when actually I'd gone to the doctor a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, through a mixture of GPs not knowing... And me not also being able to explain or express the pain, because I think the language of pain is very interesting. A lot of people cannot adequately describe pain, women or men. They can't pinpoint it. They can't they can't answer the question. You know, my whole life is about getting people to answer a question. Mm. And I couldn't describe, I couldn't adequately answer, although not all of it's my fault. And that comes down to the fact that, you know, one in 10 women have endometriosis the world over, at least. Come on, we don't know. It's probably way more. And it takes an average of seven years to be diagnosed. That, that's just not acceptable. So, you know, I think it's not acceptable that in Britain we don't have postnatal care. You know, 
in France, when this French woman who looked after me at first, they have six sessions for free, I believe, but you can double check me, of uh, physio to help them. Yep, I've heard that as well. So my sister-in-law lived in France for the last few years. She had one of her children there. She said the aftercare was unbelievable. So why can they do it there? Yeah, exactly. Can we please just agree that we need a bit of aftercare when we've done the equivalent of a marathon in our body once a day for nine months? It doesn't feel like a great deal to ask for, does it? No, it does not. (laughs) You mentioned about uh, announcing that you were menstruating live on television. Yeah, Uh, what was that? I'm, I'm also like, I guess I'm also on this mission to try and end some of the stigma around it. And for me, part of that has been getting past the embarrassment of even saying the word vagina and vulva. Uh, and I'm just wondering, like, have, have you ever found gynae issues hard to talk about? Or is that just not part of who you are? No, not at all. No. I, so I it's really... not like you've had to fight to get past the embarrassment. You've just, it's just never been a thing. No. I remember when an MP asked me what my book, my first book was about. I I mean, I say first, it's the only book and probably will be the only book I write. But uh, he asked me what the book was about. And I said, periods. And he said, oh, which period of time? And I said, no, the one in my pants. (laughs) Eyes popping out of his head. It was great. Um, I I, know I've never struggled with it. And I think I've been a defiant uh, girl into a woman about that stuff forever yeah yeah you're lucky i blame i blame i blame judy bloom oh yeah i read her as a child yeah and i felt like she 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 gave me the language nobody else did she did she made it acceptable um and i guess westminster not massively known for being female friendly and you are known for your big hard-hitting political interviews i'm just curious career-wise has there ever been a point where you've worried that writing about periods or advocating for women with endo or saying vagina on the radio would have you pigeonholed into that sort of women's things emma and her vagina again and and you know not allowed or not been accepted in the world of political journalism has that ever been a consideration or has it always just worked out i like the the idea of that headline is emma and her vagina again (laughs) um i I think what's interesting to to reflect quite seriously on that is that women's issues and adverted comments are not talked about with the same seriousness of tone uh, as let's say football right Mm -hmm. so but let's put maybe fashion in for women's issues which is seen as a female issue although the last time i checked men wear clothes (laughs) fashion is a multi-billion dollar business around the world incredibly important to our country and our GDP, football the same. One is talked about with the breathlessness and the seriousness as if life and death depended on it. And one is talked about as, oh, isn't it lovely to have a new pair of high heels? Mm. I think the way we um, we treat women's issues or issues that pertain to women as soft, fluffy, and not as important is as old as time began, you know, mm-hmm. and that is what I rage against. And that is what I like to change. And I like to do it through humour. You know, mm-hmm. I, I hope you can hear that. I, I think you can take people with you who aren't necessarily against you through making them smile and making yeah. them laugh. Not always. You've got to say some serious stuff in between all of that. But I, I remember going on to a particular, um, they will remain nameless because I don't want to get her into trouble. But I remember going on to a particular radio programme when I was talking about my book. And the person to do with the programme said to me, 
there's no way if you were anyone else who'd written this book that we would have been allowed to have you on and do half an hour on periods but because you cover brexit and because you cover politics the editor is hoping you will actually spend quite a lot lot of your time lifting a lid on westminster oh wow okay and i said well i hope he's tuned in because we're not going to talk about that (laughs) i mean so i got a free pass not a free pass in terms of the interview but i got I got a few interviews I don't think I wouldn't have got, I would have got, excuse me, if I hadn't been, quote unquote, a serious journalist. Yeah, wow. So okay. I used I used it to my advantage, is what I'm trying to say, but I shouldn't have to play that game. Yeah, this should be as serious, end of. Yeah, and, and when I remember going to see A Game Will Remain Nameless, um, when you write a book, as I've only done the one, uh, and I learned about the book industry, you go and see people who might like to buy your book, as in the publishers, okay, yeah. to get a book deal. And I remember being seven months pregnant, wandering around, um, dragging my sorry body into these places and into these publishers. And there was one man who insisted upon seeing me despite not liking the book idea. And I thought to myself, well, this is a bit odd. And he's very important. And he said to me, he wouldn't say the word period during the whole meeting. He called it lady issues. Okay. <laughs> Good. And right. I was like, wow. He goes, I've got three daughters, you know, and lady issues are a big thing in my house. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm uh you know lady issues is just quite maybe we should rename women's out of that anyway, yeah there you go uh, i'm joking um but it was just a funny phrase and it stayed with me and he said to me uh listen Emma, nice idea maybe for the second or the third book but don't you think you need to write a proper book a, a proper book about politics news britain history power leadership i thought wow okay i i'm having this meeting and you don't want to do the idea I've come with so are you just expecting me to change my idea which I've written thousands of words of just on the fly here mate wow that was a meeting to remember yeah he didn't buy the book I just want to clarify that no (laughs) clearly not um I'm gonna let you go in a minute but um you know you've got a lot on you've got this new big job at woman's hour you've got a child it's a very busy time how are you how are you feeling physically how's the pelvic floor how's the end or like just how how are you doing emma uh yeah i mean do you know what i had a really bad flare up at, at christmas again with my endometriosis not on yeah. my pelvic floor actually and if you'd asked me then I, I would have said i was a bit of a walking wounded situation i've i've had a bit of a a good wind for three weeks for mm-hmm. which i am grateful and the pelvic floor was a bit bad last week but it's 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 sorted itself out it's settled down a little bit again this week i mean i do have a job uh, at woman's hour and a job at newsnight that are live broadcasting jobs and mm. they are not for the faint-hearted in the sense of live broadcasting as you know having produced and edited people like me uh, is a very exciting environment and yeah. it's a huge privilege but you are processing a lot of information very very quickly and you've got to turn up you've got to be present yeah it's it's adrenalized right and I actually say my job although some people would find it hard just anyway uh it is it is hard obviously with a chronic pain condition and um I you know for instance I I do find sometimes standing at the beginning of news night like you need to quite hard Mm -hmm. um if I'm having a bad day with my endometriosis so there are little things like that but by, by and large, I actually find my work is my salvation when it comes to living a life in pain because it completely takes over my body Yes. because my mind is active and to have such a busy job 
is, I mean, apart from the fact that, you know, it's a great job and I get to talk to such interesting people and, and think about so many different things and educate myself and be educated by those talking to me. It's a great job for my illness as well. I have learned mm -hmm. how to use it to distract myself. Yeah, yeah. And and I guess the last thing that I tend to ask people is for women who will listen to this and are dealing with whatever pelvic floor problems or endometriosis or gynae issues of, of whatever kind and are suffering in silence, what message would you have for them? Get as much information about it as you can write down what you think you're feeling as you're feeling it so i'd keep a diary or a, use one of the apps you know to monitor your symptoms each day see if you can mm -hmm. really be the best advocate and the best the best person for you to tell a professional how you feel it's for years i couldn't articulate something i used to have when i menstruated which is i have a feeling down my legs so I have really bad leg ache and I feel like I'm being pulled towards the centre of the earth. I could, if you'd asked me that, I've had it for years. I couldn't say it to you until I read on the Endometriosis UK website, which is why I say tour yourself up with as much information as possible, that that is a classic hallmark of my disease. Right. So I think if you can write down or say it to your friend, partner, husband, whatever, cat, dog, if you, if you can say what you're feeling and keep a good note of it. And then the real work begins of trying to see somebody and actually get some treatment. You know, treat it like a full project, like a full-time thing, even if you can't do it full-time, because there's nothing more important than your health. You know, you everything else suffers if you yeah. don't give it the attention. You know, it's like people who say, oh, I'm too busy to see the doctor or make the call. Well, you're not too busy to watch 40 minutes of Netflix, are you? Yeah, it's priorities. It, and it's important, like you say, it's important. Totally. So, you know, all the love, all the feels, I'm sending you all the solidarity for living with something horrible and you're scared and you think it's just you. I've been there, I really have. I, I, but I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a great doer. And if I knew you, whoever you are listening, I would, if I was allowed, <laughs> we weren't in lockdown, I'd come round and I'd sit with you and I'd interview you and get all your symptoms out of you and I'd write it all down with you. And then I'd try and find the best person locally for you to go and see great advice oh emma thank you so much i really appreciate you finding the time to speak to me i know you're really busy so i'm sure that'll be really helpful no, no, it, to a lot it, of people i'm never too busy to to talk about my hypertonic pelvic floor <laughs> oh sentences you never thought you'd have to say <laughs> so many sentences we never thought we'd have to say but getting this information out there has to be a good thing if you want to know more about tight pelvic floors, I'll link another couple of episodes in the show notes as well as put in links in there for the things that Emma and I talked about today. In the next episode, I'll be speaking to Tiffany Sequera, who's at Gyne Girl on Instagram. And just like Emma mentioned, we'll be talking about the need for better education around pelvic health, as well as how to make it more inclusive. She's brilliant and fun, and I highly recommend it. Before you go... Right, this is really cool and perfectly demonstrates what a brilliant community we have. I want to say a massive thank you to Kat Pearson, who listens to the podcast and was so keen to help spread the word that she sent me a message to offer her design skills, her amazing design skills. I obviously said yes, please. And she's taken the website and the logo to a whole new level and created some gorgeous illustrations which say exactly why mums don't jump. 
Kat, you are awesome. Thank you. I am not a medical professional, so please don't take anything you hear as medical advice, but do subscribe, post a review, tell me what you think and spread the word. You've been listening to Why Mums Don't Jump with me, Helen Ledwick. You can find me on Instagram at Why Mums Don't Jump or online at whymumsdontjump.com. Bye.